Team, what a wonderful thing to lead us into worship of Almighty God. This morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Dr. Allen, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to open God's Word and to share with you some of the things that the Lord has been working even in my own personal heart. So Colossians chapter 3, and I, I want us to read this entire section. I want us to focus this morning on two basic phrases in verses 15 and 16, but I want to read the whole passage so you get somewhat of the context. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all else, uh, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you even now, uh, humbled at your word to hear of the things that are true about us who believe that we have died to ourself and God, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And Father, I pray that you give us wisdom even this morning as we consider a couple of truths that you have given to us in your word, meant to be encouragement and meant to be challenges and exhortations to us. Father, would you um, calm our troubled hearts? Would you give us wisdom to walk in your peace, we pray this morning? Would you encourage us by the Spirit and by your word in the inner man. Lord, give us ears to hear your word and do as you say in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start this passage by the question that, that Paul is seeking to answer here. He's trying to get us to understand what it means to walk in the peace of Christ. In verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I want us to begin by considering John 14, Jesus makes a statement that's very critical, and it seems to me that, that Paul is recalling what Jesus is saying, what Jesus has left for us in our encouragement. 
relative to peace. John 14, 1 starts like this. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus in John 14 is, is beginning his statements on what's to come. He's telling them that he's going away and the disciples are seeing themselves be anxious. They're troubled in heart. Jesus sees that and he starts with this, this statement, let not your heart be troubled. He goes on to then describe in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. And then Philip asked this question. And you can identify with Philip. I can identify with Philip in that question. And Jesus says, have you been with me this long and you do not know me? And then he goes on to tell us about the hope of the Holy Spirit, which God has granted to us, sent to us to allow our hearts not to be troubled. But the Holy Spirit's role is to guide us in truth revealed in the word. The role of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Christ who is our peace. This is how our hearts don't have to be troubled as we walk in life. But then we get to John 14, 27. And this is what Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you feel this morning that your heart is troubled? Do you feel this morning that your heart is afraid? I would say that in epidemic proportions, we find all of ourselves in places of despair and fear and anxieties. But Jesus is telling us, He has left us with something. He has left us with peace. And Paul is building on that in his culmination of Colossians when he's trying to exhort and encourage the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea who would read the letter later. And this is the way he culminates some of that discussion. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, I want to distinguish this by first reminding ourselves, what does it mean that Christ has given us peace. Colossians 1, Paul already reminded us in 19 and 20, for in him, talking about Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Romans 5, 1, one of the most satisfying passages maybe in all of scripture. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. He's not merely a means of peace. One of the things that you put in your toolbox to hope to have peace, among other things, as we were reminded in John 14, 6, he is the way to God. And you don't have peace in life unless you have peace with God. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. You see, we often think about peace as being some sort of feeling that we're after, something that we're running and chasing after. That's not how your heart is not troubled. You see, peace is a person. It's not a feeling. Peace is an individual, and his name is Jesus. And the work that Jesus has done, which Paul has reminded us here, is to allow us to walk at peace. Why? Ephesians Chapter 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He's our peace. Do you walk at peace today? The, the call here that Paul is giving to us is he's commanding us. 
This is not a statement of moralism where he says, hey, figure this out. Jesus is your peace, so, so you in your own power go try to follow after him. Okay? What he's describing here is he says to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And maybe one of the best ways I can illustrate that is I think about when you were a child and you were going to the doctor to get a shot or take some medicine of some sort. And at the, about the age of two or three or four, you start to figure out what's going on when the doctor walks in the room. And you hear, well, just let the doctor give you this medicine. You're afraid of the shot or whatever the case might be. You're not doing anything to help your healing. You're just uh, calming yourself down to be able to receive what's coming. This is really a, a picture of what Paul is trying to say here. The work has already been done. Walk in this and allow the peace of Christ now to rule in you. What I want us to focus on is this word rule. What what does he mean here? What is Paul saying? To let this peace of Christ rule in your heart. I think there are maybe two hues or shades of color that I would describe this particular term that I think helps us to understand how we walk in peace that Christ has already secured for us. The first one I would describe as more of a dominion, that he has done a work in us. This is the whole story that Paul has been trying to build, that our hope is not found in some human wisdom that's out there. He's arguing against that completely, and he's saying uh, our hope, our peace is found in Christ Jesus. Don't walk away from the things that you have learned. He reminds us in Colossians 2, verse 6, that in the same way in which you received the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. How did you receive the Lord Jesus? You received the Lord Jesus and you were justified, Romans 5.1 tells us, by faith. So it's in that same way, the faith and trust in the work that Christ has accomplished that we now also walk in him. And it is in this walk under the lordship of Christ, based on the work that he's done for us, that we find ourselves walking at peace in difficulty in life. You see, part of this idea of this statement of rule is that Christ has claimed your heart to rule over it. In the statement of justification, he has declared, you have been made righteous, you are mine. The war is over, and you are at peace with God. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? So many times we find ourselves not at peace in life because we take up arms again thinking that it's ours to achieve, when in reality, Christ has done this work on our behalf You see, this is the idea that Paul is constantly through this book trying to remind us this work is done. Colossians chapter one, the end of that middle section, he says, you've died with Christ. And then he talks about the beauty of the preeminence of Christ and all the work that he's done and his sovereignty over everything. And in him, all things hold together. He's the image of the invisible God. And then he passes on into the end of chapter one and he says, this is the work of the church to proclaim Christ because he changes people. He makes them different. He conforms them into his image. And at the end of chapter one, Paul says, this is the reason I work. This is all the effort that I have putting forward toward the work that I've done is to proclaim Christ because of the work that he does in the hearts of people. And even at that moment, I pause And I'm concerned with so much effort that we give to so many other things other than the proclamation of Christ in so many arenas of our churches. Peace can't be found in those places or by those means. He goes on into Colossians chapter 2 and he's declaring the beauty of the wisdom of Christ. That It's in Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are, are found 
And that when we, when we strive toward that wisdom, which is found only in Christ because he is the wisdom of God, that then at that point it's preventative care to our hearts to keep us from being carried off and enticed by all of the vain deceptions and empty philosophies of the world. And how do we maintain that walk? In the same way in which we were justified, by faith. And he warns again not to be taken away by empty philosophies and vain deceptions. And he goes into this long discourse and gets to the end of chapter 2, encouraging us, saying, if you walk according to the human philosophies and human wisdom that's found in the world, it's of no value to you. The thing that you're actually fighting are the indulgences of the flesh. That's what causes you not to be able to walk in inner peace. And he says, when you pursue those things, you cannot have peace because it is powerless to overcome the indulgence of the flesh. And then we get to chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. And listen to the way in which Paul reminds us about our justification. That the work of Christ making peace for you in relation to God is done. Chapter one, or chapter three, verse one. If then you've been raised with Christ, it's not a hypothetical. He's talking to those who are believers. He's saying, you have, since you have been raised with Christ. This is a work that's already done. What's he say do? Now out of that, seek things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. He says, you have died to Christ. You have been raised to walk in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a statement that's already completed because of the work of Christ. And then Christ, who is your life? Our hearts are completely his. But we struggle with that truth, don't we? I'm reminded of a story from World War II. In August of 1945, there were declar well, starting in May of 1945, there were declarations that the war was over. And in the Pacific realm, there were people still fighting and um, skirmishes that were breaking out. And in August of 1945, there was another declaration that was made. In September 2nd, Truman announced that Japan had surrendered. The war was over. But yet still, you can read about what's called the Japanese holdouts, and there were many guys who were loyal to their army, still fighting years and decades later. In 1974, there were two gentlemen still standing at their post where they had been left in 1945, thinking the war was still going. Isn't that like your heart? Where the, the war has been won, Christ has given you peace, yet there are still darknesses and crevices and places in your heart where it seems as though the word has not, not arrived. It's time for us in our walk to be ruled by the peace that Christ has given. This is a part of the distinction of our justification and, and our sanctification. And oftentimes we get those things mixed up. We have inner struggles because we forget God has done the work through Christ. But in our sanctification, we still struggle. And what he's saying to us here is be ruled. Be ruled by the peace that is Christ in your daily walkings. In the way in which you walk, be reminded that Christ has dominion over you. But there's a second hue, there's a second shade. And maybe it's the more prominent meaning that I would say that comes out of this word to, to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And this is the effects that happen as we walk faithfully out of the justification that God has made for us in Christ. The peace of Christ is to be our judge. 
This is the idea here that he stands in judgment ruling over our hearts. And you see what often happens is we have a tendency to walk through life and in the things that we set our mind upon and where we think we're going in life, we have a tendency to think that we're the judge or culture is the judge to describe us or our friends give us counsel on this thing or that thing. When in reality, what Paul is saying here is that, no, it's the peace of Christ that should rule every decision, make every judgment based on your conscience and where you go and the things you do and the things you say and that you live out of that peace that is already secured for you in Christ. It is to be your rule and your judge. Think of in normal life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, he's saying, if you have peace with Christ, then what are you to do? Set your mind on things above. And as you walk in daily life, I don't know if you're like me, that's a struggle consistently to set my mind on things above, things that are not of the earth, because they're so convincing. We see them with our natural eyes, and we get so entangled and enticed by those moments and the intensity of those moments. And we find ourselves being judged and ruled by the tyranny of the urgent and not by the peace of Christ. And this is what Paul is calling us to, that in moments like that, in the daily moments that you experience this difficulty or this measuring stick, Paul is saying, measure yourself by the peace that Christ has already secured. This is that wrestling that we see Paul talk about in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Galatians 5.16, but I say this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit is a constant proclamation in our hearts of the testimony of Christ and the testimony that he has secured in us, peace. Can I pause for a second and just warn you of moralism? The flow of this whole passage, and and it's unfortunate that we have to sort of strip this out and start in verse 15 to cover some of the things that that I think are, are critical, but don't snatch this out of the context of the passage. There are some things that have to happen before we go seeking after peace. As I've mentioned, and you see here in this passage, if you've been raised with Christ, a statement that's already happened, then what does he tell you? Seek the things that are above and set your mind somewhere in response to what Christ has done. Verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is methodological in how we walk faithful to Christ. Verse five, he says this, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. When you are constantly walking around, living according to the immorality of this world, you will not have peace. Dare I say, you cannot have true and legitimate peace. There is a call in our sanctification to walk faithful in our justification, to put to death the things that are at war with the peace of Christ in us. That has to happen first, and then we see we can experience the peace of Christ. But not just that. Put off the old man and now put on the new man. And he uses this language of, of clothing. He says to put on these clothes which are identified with Christ. I think of uh, even back in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned before God. And in in that moment, there were some intense things going on. And they run and hide and, and make for themselves fig leaves. And as they sew these fig leaves together, they're trying to cover their guilt and cover their shame. It's a lot like you and me, isn't it? Where, where we don't find fig leaves to sew together, but we find philosophies of the world and 
things that help to ease our mind or places we like to go or uh, mindfulness that we try and achieve through different means, all trying to clothe ourselves with something else to cover the things that are shameful within when Christ has already secured for us clothing. Clothing that God has provided for us, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, which allows our minds to be at peace. And don't miss the statement at the end in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule. Rule in your hearts in dominion and as a judge in your daily, uh, in your daily actions, in the daily things that you do. And then he finishes that, that verse, to which you are indeed called in one body and be thankful. I think this idea is so critical and important. I remember when I was a, when I was a youth pastor, this was a common verse that everybody in my youth, in my youth group would, would know, Philippians 2.14. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Why? Because it's sort of our natural disposition to complain about the things that, that don't go our way. Here, what Paul is trying to encourage us to do is to have a heart of thankfulness. Now, this is not something that he's saying we just simply achieve. He's saying as a result of all that God has done, when you're paying attention to that, what now starts to overflow in your heart is thankfulness. How difficult it is, though, to be overwhelmed with thankfulness in our day. The idea here is that we be overwhelmed with the grace of Christ toward us so that our response to him is overwhelmingly gratitude. Listen to Dr. Richard Mellick. Generally, a lack of peace results from self-seeking or dissatisfaction with things as they are. Thankfulness points us, uh, points one to the realization that all things are provided in Christ. There is no room for ill will or bitterness if thankfulness prevails. Uh, one of the guys who's a dead friend of mine that I get counsel from quite frequently, the Puritan Thomas Watson, says it like this. If you wish to be thankful, get a heart deeply humbled with the sense of your own vileness. And you only see the sense of your own vileness when you compare yourself to the glorious riches that are found in the work of Christ on your behalf. And he calls us to walk in them. So how do we know this peace? How do we know that we're, we're allowing the peace of Christ to rule in our heart? How do you know something like that? Gratitude comes out. A chief symptom of a heart that's ruled by the peace of Christ is gratitude. Being thankful. I'm going to say something that I think is probably going to offend some of you, but I want to say this in love. One of the things that I see consistently in our generation is that we are an entitled people. Would you please kill the sense of entitlement in you? Because that entitlement is an expression of our American individualism, and it is absolutely an arch enemy of the grace of Christ in you. If you're entitled to something, then you did, you did not need the grace of Christ to receive it. But there is nothing that you have that you did not receive if Jesus' words are true. And so everything that you have, you receive from Christ as a gift of grace to you. So to, your response is naturally to be grateful. Paul reminds us of this in other places, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So many of you are wandering around, wondering what the will of the Lord is. It's your sanctification and that you be grateful for everything that you get. Philippians 
tells us not to be discouraged. But Paul had to learn how to do this and, and learn how to be content. So this is something that you're in process of learning. Strive toward it. Strive to see things in other people that are good and that you're grateful for. Strive to see the beauty of the work of God in you. I, I try, one of the minuscule ways that I try and do this, and this is, it's petty and it's, it is minuscule, but one of the ways that I try and do this is, and part of my goal is I know the unwieldiness of my own heart in cases like this. To not be grateful, not to pay attention to all the beauty of what God is doing. I try to sit down consistently month after month and write thank you letters, handwrite thank you letters. And some of you are like, man, I don't have time for that. Listen, can I tell you, you don't have time not to do things like that. Because this is a way in which you are disciplining yourself to pay attention not just in, there's nothing magical in the writing of thank you notes. But there is something about paying attention to what goes on in a day's time so that you have some thank you notes to write. And it begins to change the attitude. It changes the way that you see everything. Gratitude coming out of you is the evidence that the peace of Christ rules in you. And this is the way that God intended us to live. We have five minutes and we're going to Close this sucker up with the last phrase, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What in the world does he mean by that? Let the word of Christ. Paul has gone through great pains to help us to see contrasting views of worldly wisdom. And he tells us that it is vain and nothingness to us. And here he's saying, don't allow those things to come set up shop in your heart. Because the way that you think in your mind rules the way that you live outwardly from your heart. And Paul is encouraging you here to let the word of Christ dwell in you. Listen, I'm okay looking outside of Christ for wisdom once we've exhausted the beauty and wisdom that's found in Christ. We have to begin there first. The fear of the Lord is what leads us to wisdom to pay attention to worldly philosophies. Paul seems to think that this leads us into a direction that we're not basking in the beauty of the peace of Christ. And so he warns us consistently, particularly in chapter two. And isn't it that way in our own hearts where we travel down miles of roads and go on all kinds of different interesting journeys to chase the winds for philosophies that we think will settle our heart? But at the end of those journeys, what you find is what Solomon concluded is that it's all, it's all vanity. So he tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us. The exhortation here is that the Christian is to yield himself to the word of God, that there's a certain at-homeness, if you will, a feeling at home. So if I were to invite you to my house, which is a common thing, I like to do that, and I were to say the southern thing, which is come in and make yourself at what? home. None of you will do that, right? Because if you were uh, in my home, like my kids do, they walk open to the fridge and they open it and get whatever they want at any time that they want, right? And we keep that thing stuffed so that they can enjoy. There's something different about what it means to be at home. And even as much as I would encourage you to do that, do you still feel that awkwardness? Like, yeah, he said I could go get some lemonade, but, but that's just weird because you're not at home, the sense of that, think of the way in which the word of Christ feels dwelling in your heart. 
Is it at home in your heart? Does it have permission to rule every inch of your inner man? The ways that you think, the things that you do, the places that you go, the things that you say. Is it at home? Does it sprawl out on your couch? Can it go anywhere it wants to go? Thomas Watson says this, a godly man's heart is the library to hold the word of God. It dwells in him richly. Is the word of God at home in your heart? He tells us to allow it to dwell in us richly. What does he mean by that? If you and I are having a discussion, I enjoy talking about sports. I enjoy talking about hunting. Other subjects, it might be a short conversation, but those subjects, they dwell in me richly and we can talk all day about those things. The, the idea here is that the word of God is dwelling in us to such a degree that it makes distinction in us. It marks us in a way that we think and talk differently when the subject of Christ comes up. It dwells in us with distinction. But what about the word for you? Does it dwell in your heart richly? Now, as we move with the final point here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he moves, and I think the order is so important. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then something happens as the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. And this is something that he's repeated now a second time. He's mentioned this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. It's him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may make every man complete in Christ. And he repeats that phrase here, that when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, what comes out? Teaching and admonishing. But I want to pause because seminary can create in you moving that out of order. Where the word of Christ is not necessary to dwell in you because you have so much knowledge up here that you now are entitled to go out and to teach and admonish. I'm going to give you a warning, a warning of hypocrisy. Jesus warns the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 23 with seven woes. One of those woes that he talks about is the outside of the cup is clean, but the inside of the cup is still dirty. What he's saying is they want to shine themselves up with the, with the trappings and appearings of being religious. He goes on to talk about tombs. The inside of the tomb is cleaned up. It's a warning of hypocrisy. I think there's a warning here for us that if the word of Christ does not legitimately dwell in you richly, bringing about gratitude and understanding of who God is, you have no business teaching and admonishing someone. Now, as we talk about teaching and what that means, it's sort of like the responsibility of a coach. The coach explaining what you're to do. I can remember playing ball, and I was not a great hitter. And the coach would come and explain to me, these are the things that you're doing wrong, and this is what you need to do. And he would teach me. He would, in an orderly fashion, give me some truth to explain to me what was going on and what I was not doing right. And then he didn't just leave. Teaching and admonishing go together. He stuck with me to watch me hit in a real game. And then he came back afterwards and he admonished. You know the things we talked about? This is what you didn't do well. This is what you didn't do well. And there were, a lot, there were a lot of those things. But this is what you didn't do well. That's what it means to teach and admonish. But listen, you can't do that faithfully and effectively if you don't let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So as you think about these two phrases, be warned. 
that the peace of Christ needs to rule in your heart or else you're going to find yourself running after, shaping yourself and paint yourself in a way that's not true to the person that you are on the inside. Watson says it like this, when you're a hypocrite, your beauty is like paint. And he who only has a painted holiness shall have a painted happiness, meaning it's not lasting. When you teach and when you admonish, it needs to come out of a heart that's been dominated and saturated with the word of God, that it dwells in you richly. It finds a comfortable place in you richly. And that doesn't mean life is always comfortable. You fall under conviction. That's certainly true. But that your heart begins to melt at the saturation of the word of God in your, in your life. And it melts to such a degree. One of the things that I do in my letter writing is I have a, I'm, I'm sort of an old soul. I have a signet stamp and I put wax on the back of it. And the one thing that I have to do in order to put that signet stamp on there is I have to heat the wax up to the point to where it melts. And an amazing thing happens then. It can receive the imprint of that signet stamp. When you allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, it melts your heart, being ready to be imprinted by the mark of Christ, the mark of peace, and the mark of gratitude that then overflowing leads to teaching and admonishing in a way that's in kindness and humility of heart for the good of those you lead. May that be so among us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the beauty of your word. It is good to us. We certainly don't deserve it, but in your riches and mercy and in your grace and kindness toward us, Lord, you have given us your wisdom and we are so grateful. I, I pray, Father, that we not simply be hearers of the word, but that we meditate on your word and we become doers pursuing out of gratitude for all that you've done for us, the wisdom that, that's found in Christ, that we'd be, we would be obedient out of heart of love and compassion toward you and then toward others. May it be so in Christ's name. Amen.